We don't want to have to worry about what pronouns to use from day to day with children. Gender identity and gender expression are included in a young person's freedom of expression and are protected speech. A bill advances requiring public school staff to inform parents if a student announces changes to their gender identity or preferred pronoun. This bill serves no purpose except to be harmful and reinforce hate. From IPR News, this is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome. To suggest that parents should not be informed for safety reasons about their child's struggle with gender identity issues is deeply disturbing. If a public school student shares they are considering a gender or pronoun change, staff must inform the parents. Opponents say this could lead to a bad situation. If the child has said, if my parents find out, if my dad finds out, if my mom finds out, it really puts the teacher in a pickle. And there is an unintended error that would allow property taxes to be raised too high. The error that was discovered is at the benefit of the taxpayer. A bill corrects this, but local governments finding out now means they'll be short come this fiscal year. Our city budget processes are well underway, and changing the rules now is very concerning. I'm John Pimble. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending February 3rd, 2023. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In a Senate subcommittee, a bill would prohibit curriculum in grades K through 8 to include gender identity discussions that differ from what is on a child's birth certificate. Can you imagine the enormous stress that my daughter and others like her will carry with them being told that their large part of who they are is so bad that it is legal, illegal for teachers to acknowledge it at school? Jill Bjorkland is the parent of a transgender girl and says this bill is targeted at someone like her child. I fear this enormous stress will be too heavy for some of our queer youth who already experience elevated rates of depression, absenteeism, homelessness, thoughts of self-harm, and even worse, suicide. This Senate proposal is only about curriculum. Arguments from the public center around their perceptions of what gender identity change means. Doug Campbell supports this bill. The lie that a biological male can function in the capacity as a biological female or a biological female can function in the capacity of a biological male defies reality and is therefore in every dimension an untenable lie. My name is Barry Stevens and my pronouns are they, them. Barry Stevens is in the seventh grade and says a law like this would threaten them. As a member of the LGBTQIA plus community and as a kid in Iowa schools, I deserve to be valued and protected. But this bill does the opposite of that. Republican Senator Jeff Taylor recommends advancing this proposal. He says this bill does not prevent how children identify. Uh, Nothing in the bill would mandate more red tape, would prevent school counselors from helping kids uh, who have questions or uh, uh, concerns about their gender identity. This bill advances from the Senate subcommittee. At the same time, a House subcommittee is having a hearing for a bill that doesn't talk about curriculum. Instead, it would prohibit any public school from accommodating a student's gender identity that differs from their birth certificate. The business of schools is to impart knowledge and help kids growing into caring, empathetic citizens. Lisa Stowe is the parent of a transgender child. Students should be able to freely express themselves as to who they are, whether that means using another name, 
dressing as a different gender, loving whom they want. They should be able to do this in a space where they are safe, the schools. Decisions as important as a minor wanting to change the gender in which they identify with has to be a discussion taking place between the parents and the child, not the school and the child. Pam Grono supports the requirement of this bill, making it mandatory for the school to inform the parents if a student changes their gender identity or pronoun. If a student wants to participate with a different pronoun or gender, parents must provide the school with written permission. Dave Doughton represents the school administrators of Iowa and says if a child wishes to speak to a teacher or counselor without that information being shared with a parent, they have the First Amendment right to do so. We feel like this bill goes against Section 216.9 of the Iowa Code and Title IX of federal law, and that puts our schools and administrators in a position where they have to choose which law they want to break, and they shouldn't be put into that position. I start every counseling session I have with students, reminding them of our rules of confidentiality. Aaron Cavazos is a counselor with the Des Moines Public Schools. Cavazos cites information from the Trevor Project. It's a nonprofit organization that states their mission is to, quote, end suicide among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning young people. The Trevor Project finds that fewer than one in three transgender and non-binary youth find their homes to be gender-affirming. And another scary statistic is that 45% of those youth seriously consider attempting suicide within the past year. This bill would be forcing us to out kids and then um, not allow us to offer the supports and leave them um, unsupported. What I've heard today from those opposing the bill, this is your words. Parents are evil. Republican Representative Skyler Wheeler chairs this subcommittee. In the transcript of the subcommittee, the word evil is only used by Representative Wheeler as he is characterizing opposition to this bill. That's literally what you guys were saying. Parents are evil. Parents don't know what's best for their kids. That's what was said to us today. I cannot believe in the state of Iowa we have people that think that parents are going to abuse and hurt their kids because they find something out at school. If they do, the law already applies to that. They don't get away with that. But my goodness, what an awful, awful thing to stand against. The bill advances from this subcommittee, and that evening comes before the full House Education Committee in a more contentious meeting than usual. Democratic Representative Sharon Steckman asks Wheeler about his comments during the subcommittee. You said something about parents are all evil, that we think parents are all evil. Is that correct? Representative Steckman, what was stated in the subcommittee was my interpretation of what the opponents of the bill were basically stating. Representative Wheeler takes umbrage to Steckman's question. The opponents of that bill were literally saying that this bill, if passed... And student parents find out that they were basically saying that every single parent is going to do harm to their child. That was essentially what was said in the subcommittee. Thank you, Representative Wheeler. They were not saying that. To suggest that parents should not be informed for safety reasons about their child's struggle with gender identity issues is deeply disturbing. And I would argue the other way in terms of safety. Republican Representative Stephen Holtz says for schools to not inform parents about a child's conversations with educators is a, quote, arrogance of power. Those who oppose this bill, in my opinion, are taking a position that government officials own our children and know what is best, and that parents, in some cases, cannot be trusted with the welfare of their own children. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Sometimes kids just feel if they can't talk to a trusted adult at home. Democratic Representative Molly Buck says students may feel safer talking to a trusted faculty member about a sensitive subject. If the child has said, if my parents find out, if my dad finds out, if my mom finds out, 
and they describe what could possibly happen, it really puts the teacher or the counselor or the coach in a pickle. We don't have another agency we can call like we do with abuse. As this committee's discussion about this bill winds down, Representative Wheeler says if a student shares any intention to change their gender identity or pronoun, that information should not be withheld from their parents. Some parents might be okay with this at the school, but there are a lot of parents that are not. We are not going to make a policy for some and not others. It is always good to have a policy that empowers parents in any aspect of their child's life. This bill advances from the Education Committee. This is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome from IPR News. I'm John Pimble. In 2021, we passed basically what was supposed to be at that time the bookend to that property tax. In a Senate Ways and Means subcommittee, Republican Senator Dan Dawson explains how our recent tax law change had the unintended consequences of calculating a higher property tax rate. What we have found out since then is that formula we put into code is artificially pulling up residential. It's artificially pulling up the rollback, uh, which was never intended to begin with. Uh, So the consequence is residential property owners, as is in our code right now, will be paying a penalty or effectively a potential property tax increase. The amount of the potential property tax increase is $127 million. Local governments like cities and counties use information from the Iowa Department of Revenue to project how much revenue will be taken in from property taxes. The formula creating an unintentional increase was discovered in early November by the Legislative Services Agency. As the legislative session began, the situation became more known, and this bill is a proposed clarification on what the tax rate was intended to be. Tom Cope represents the city of Corville and Cedar Falls. He says being notified in 2023 the property tax rate may be reduced instead of in November 2022 has created problems. So every city finance person then started the budget process and then started working with elected officials to figure out what their budget should be, reasonably relied on that number. There was no correction from the Department of Revenue to indicate, hey, we might have made a mistake. We might need to fix this legislatively. Zero. This frustration is echoed by Lucas Binkin from the Iowa State Association of Counties. One of the main concerns that we have, as many have talked about, is the timing. And our members did the right thing. Uh, The assessors found the market value of the property. The auditors made calculations with the numbers that they were given. And for months, as others have said, uh, department heads, county supervisors have been working on budgets. Daniel Stalder from the League of Iowa Cities says a change from one revenue source can complicate how other aspects of a budget come together. Of the 938 cities, 603 have already set in motion to set their maximum property tax levy. Uh, Being able to move your budget certification date is great. It is definitely helpful movement in the right direction of which we appreciate. Um, But it does not allow for the movement of all of the other components which go into setting a budget. This bill proposes to give local governments more time to certify their budgets. It advances from the subcommittee and committee on the same day. Less than 24 hours later, it comes before the full Senate. We're kind of between a rock and a hard place. If we do nothing, 
property taxes go up for our constituents. Democratic Senator Pam Yoakum says if this bill passes as is, most budgets will have to be rewritten for the next fiscal year to avoid shortfalls. Senator Yoakum proposes an amendment that the state will make up the difference for a one-time spending of around $127 million. We have over $2 billion in our surplus right now. What this amendment will do is supplement that gap that could have been prevented. There was no reason we have this bill before us if the department had merely admitted to their mistake before all these local governments start putting their budgets together. This bill will allow local governments a little more time to certify their budgets, a move that Yoakum and other Democrats support. But Democratic Senator Janet Peterson says supplemental aid is also something the state can and should do. I believe that this mess was created at the state level and it's the state's obligation to fix it instead of asking uh, local communities to fix their budgets and just... Um, extending their deadline. That's just like asking them to rip the Band-Aid off a little more slowly. Republican Senator Dan Dawson says some local government budgets need to be tightened. I think everyone here has heard complaints from their local constituents about ways cities and counties actually waste money, Uh, whether it be this line item, that line item, maybe a new sports rec center. I mean, there's always a variety of uses people uh, spend on taxpayer money that I would not ask our chamber to take responsibility for every line item in 930-plus cities and 99 counties. Dawson says the state has better uses for this amount of money. This is a mistake, and I absolutely agree on the process, but the policy is we have to live within our means, and we cannot take responsibility by backfilling local governments here with monies that can otherwise be used for more better structural reforms for our state. Senator Yoakum goes through how much some cities will be losing. City of Davenport, $2 million. Scott County, $1.6 million. Bettendorf, 912000 Des Moines, the city of Des Moines, $3.5 million. Cedar Rapids, $1 million. Iowa City, $1.7 million. The city of Marion, $470,000. Dubuque City, $650,000. Dubuque County, $1.1 million. Cedar Falls, $430,000. Waterloo, $500,000. The city of Johnston, $487,000. Dawson says there could be federal money available from recent COVID relief packages. These local governments have an infusion of federal money coming in right now. So at the very least of what we could do here today, not focus on the process, but focus on the policy. And the policy here is good to make sure that we're protecting our residential taxpayers so they do not see the potential for a $127 million tax increase. Although Democrats oppose some of Dawson's points, all senators vote for this bill. So far, there hasn't been any House momentum on a similar proposal. The Senate passed another bill this week. Their proposal for state aid for K-12 public school funding is an increase of 3% from last year. As the bill advances from the Ways and Means Committee, Republican Senator Tim Cryenbrink says the total state aid for fiscal year 2024 will be $3.7 billion. We want to make sure that we're continuing our conservative uh, spending principles that we've been pretty much locked into the last six or seven years. But Democratic Senator Sarah Trone Garriott says it should be closer to a 6% increase. We can do a lot better for our public schools and we have the resources to really show up for them in a time of rising costs. The House has not debated their version of the public school spending bill. This is the weekly legislative podcast 
Under the Golden Dome. Script editing for this episode is from IPR News Director Michael Leland. Additional stories about education come from IPR reporter Grant Gerlock. And many, many stories from the Capitol come from our Statehouse reporter Katerina Sestarik. And you can read them all at iowapublicradio.org. New episodes of this podcast come out early Saturday mornings, but make it easy on yourself. Subscribe to it in your podcast feed. That way it automatically shows up on your podcast listening device. I'm John Pimble. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.